0: For, for us, like we're trying to build young men, we're trying to help them become better leaders, better husbands, better whatever it is. How can the basketball give me an opportunity to do that? That should be reflected even in how I organize my practices.
1: Welcome to the Jamodi podcast. We are all surrounded by amazing coaches and leaders. So let's get an inside look at not just what they do, but how they do what they do. After all, becoming the best versions of ourselves is Jamodi, just a matter of doing it. Today, we are joined by the men's assistant coach at Bob Jones University, Tony Miller. Over the last 10 seasons, Coach Miller has helped lead the Bruins to three NCCAA regional championships and he's coached five All-Americans. He's the host of a Quick Timeout podcast. And in my opinion, he's one of the brightest teachers in our game today. For more information, basketball drills, small-sided games, film breakdowns, plays, and more, check out a QuickTimeOut.com. Before we hear from Coach, take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on social media at Jamodi
0: Podcast. Matt, what's going on, man?
1: What's up, Coach? How are you? Oh, I'm good. How are you, man? I'm doing well. Hey, I just first want to say thank you for giving up your, your evening here. I'm, I'm just sure. blown away by uh, all the things that you do and that you're a part of, I don't know how you do it throughout a 24 hour day. Sometimes
0: it's, uh, it's better done than other days. I'll, I'll admit that. So, um, it is, it is busy, but it's good. And, uh, I have a lot of overlapping responsibilities, which kind of makes things, it's kind of a little cheat code to be able to get things, everything done. Nice. But yeah, it's uh, good. I'm, I'm very fortunate where I'm at. Um, to be able to do multiple things and it's not that far away from each other on campus and that kind of thing. And so, um, it's good. It's been good.
1: Yeah. Well, I'll just be honest. Uh, you, you are, we, we have no connection between us, but, uh, I follow you on Twitter. And so yeah. when I started to do this, I, I really looked through, uh, some of the people that I follow thing and and, and people that post things that I just really, just kind of gravitate towards your small sided games. And and I think really your approach to, to the game in general. And so this is just an honor
0: for me to get to talk hoops with you and ask these questions. And again, just really appreciate it. I appreciate that kind words and probably not necessarily uh, worthy of them, but, um, (laughs) I, I teach over at the university and I am, I I'm the son of two teachers. And so it was kind of just always in my blood. And so I, uh, i i love learning i so it's just it's uh it's enjoyable for me to do and it's kind of like what i was saying before it's just kind of like the natural thing to do and so sharing and that kind of stuff has been fun and it's been you've you've probably experienced this but even through the podcast like being able to build relationships with people and just kind of meet people and um I don't know if anybody else gets anything out of it, but I enjoy I enjoy it and I learn a lot from it, so it's worthwhile to do it for me. I mean that that was my number
1: one motivation for doing this. I thought that well, maybe my mom will listen; she'll be a subscriber. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but if, if nobody is, then I get to have conversations with guys like you. You know, some of the best, in my opinion, you know, some of the best out there, some of the brightest minds, and and I do love that about the basketball community the way that yeah. people are so open
0: and willing to, and like you say, share the game, uh, hashtag yeah. share the game. I love it, man. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. It's been great. There's a, so many, I mean, even all the way up high college professional, I, it's, I've been blown a bit, blown away by people just willing to share and willing to talk. And that kind of motivates me to, if somebody asks me to do something like this, to, <laughs> to make sure that I, I return it and keep it moving down the line. So. Because some of the big names said yes to you, you have to say yes to
1: the little That's guys right.
0: That's no, it. no, no, no. I just have to say, I just can't, I have, I have to have a really good excuse not to say yes to it. I love it. Yeah, you know, I think sometimes a big
1: discussion is, do you have a system that you can fit any player into? Or do you build your system around the players that you have and I think I've been on both sides of that from time to time. But in your experience, man, coaching in college and and everybody
0: you have talked to, where do you fall in that in that category? Yeah, I'm sure you've got people that listen to this. I want to be careful because, as you just mentioned, from a college coach's perspective, you have a little bit more control over things because you can recruit into certain types of players. But but that that kind of that ends when you're not Duke and North Carolina and Kansas. <laughs> You know, you you, you try to and, you know, sometimes you're fortunate to to be able to get in guys that do fit in the system that you want it to the way that you want it to look. But that's not always the case. We've numerous years missed out on guys and had to kind of like scramble and adjust a little bit. And so there's always like that balancing act between my way is the hard and fast way in the system being the thing that rules everything else. And we're going to do it no matter what versus being adaptable and, you know, playing to your player's strengths. Um, With that being said, I do think that that can sometimes be used as an excuse to, well, we can't run this because we don't have. Yeah. And I I would encourage coaches, there is enough out there now. Um, I'm really big on conceptual offense. You you can run that if you, you can teach it. I mean, you can, yes, there are certain parts of it. And depending on what you pick, if you're, you know, if you're a team that, Um, your system uses a lot of ball screens, but you don't have guys that can set good screens. Well, like teach them to set good screens. I I think to an extent, um, we sometimes use that excuse, well, I can't do that. And I think that um, there is a place for being realistic about what your players are capable of doing. But I also do think that modern basketball has allowed us to be able to create systems that really can especially use uh, smaller lineups, which has been historically the excuse, like, well, I just don't have a... And then whatever size player is the biggest for your your level of play. Yeah. Um, and I do think that that's one of the strengths of what we have this day and age is the fact that you can sometimes level the playing field a little bit uh, with smaller players. We did that this year and had a lot of success. Um, but playing against bigger bigger teams at certain points of the year and that kind of thing. And sure, like there's going to be some downside to it, but um, certain matchups and that kind of thing. But I, I do think that you can um, you can pick systems this day and age that allow anybody to have success. doesn't matter if they're big or small or whatever. So that's a long roundabout way to answer your question of, I do think it's important for coaches to have like a system and, and to know like what you're trying to do, what you're trying to accomplish. And this is when our, when guys come in, we're going to find the best place within our system to help them find success. But on the flip side of that not be so rigid that you have to have this otherwise the other extreme is, and I would really encourage coaches that are listening to this, do some self-examination and make sure you're not the guy or you're not the gal that is constantly switching what you're doing every mm. single year to match the personnel that you have. Because I, I don't feel like you as a coach um, become a better coach necessarily doing that. You, you can't, I look back on the last three years, so we've, the, the system, what we're running is, is relatively new for us. And I look back over those three years and there are there are things each year that I find out that I didn't know from the year before, but it just took time to be able to figure that out and make minor adjustments. You never get that opportunity if you're switching every year or two to a different system because of the excuse, well, I don't have that player anymore, so I have to completely change. I just would warn coaches not to do a complete overhaul. Yeah. If you're switching from one year flex offense to the next time motion offense, to the next time ball screen offense, like probably going to not benefit anybody in your program especially you because you can't can't necessarily become uh well versed enough in the in that particular system to be able to even communicate it or teach it well enough yeah and i would i would imagine
1: that skill training becomes a nightmare for yourself and your players when you're trying to build your spring or your fall especially from at the high school level uh, around those philosophies you have i mean there's really going to be hard, it's going to be hard to build any type of continuity with your players and their own skill sets from
0: year to year when you're trying to do things that are completely different. Right. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, everything again for a younger coach, they think that they kind of compartmentalize things like what you just mentioned, like this is our skill development. And then uh, this is our our offseason workouts. And then these are our small group workouts and these are our practices. And then this is running our system. And I think you're hearing more and more now about the, the really good programs have found a way to make sure that the players, it's actually very simple. They actually do the same thing over and over in each of those settings, but obviously with a little bit different context. And, you know, now we're in five on five, and this is, looks a little bit different than what we did in one-on-one. But what we did in one-on-one really helps us be better at five on five. And so yeah. how can you integrate all of those parts? And to your point, if you're if you're changing every four Parts of the season, you know, you have your preseason, regular season, postseason, off season. If you're constantly switching, there's that lack of of continuity, and the players I feel like become confused, and they don't really grow to the level that they can. I know we all have heard of the story, like the poor kid that has four coaches in four years, and I think a lot of players are are walking around with four coaches in four years, and it was the same dude. Wow, it was just you switched every single yeah. year. So I I think it really kind of puts the kids at a disadvantage, too, and it may stunt some of their growth and their potential to be able to uh, reach their full potential as individual players.
1: And instead of of trying to constantly change drastically what you do, I don't know what time, maybe you can answer this, like at what point you became comfortable within the style that you're coaching, but there is a style of play that all of us, I think, it just – it, it it just feels right. And you're comfortable. You get excited to teach it. I ran flex in college and nothing against any of those coaches that run flex, but I, I don't, I think coach bliss would walk down at practice and tell me a new variation of flex. And I just kind of had to fake my excitement to him as a player, you know, so there's that, there's a part of that, but then in, to encourage coaches that, so we went from, we were a four out four out one in dribble drive team for about five or six years. And then I just found myself without really a a dunker spot player, you know, or anybody in our program and a bunch of guards that could shoot it. So I just started to look online at five out dribble drive motion and Mark Cassio's videos started to come up. And I noticed you've, you've had him on your show and, and, and I immediately reached out to him and it goes back to what we said at the beginning, how willing coaches are out there like yourself to share the stuff that they've learned and what they like and I'll tell you that move from the dunker spot to the stretch has transformed it but it's still the same concepts our skill work still flows the way we lift still uh flows right into the way that we play so like you said it's not a different mentality here different mentality here now we do this here everything there's a like a, a like you said a continuity to it but encouraging coaches to find out what you like but then go out and learn new
0: ways to do it. I think that's huge. Yeah, uh, this is an entire different conversation, but what you'll find if you actually, it's one way to think about it, but what you'll find if you watch good offense, you know, a lot of people, we can identify what good offense looks like, but if you were to ask those same people, okay, what is it that makes it good? It's sometimes difficult to like put it into words. And one of the things that I found that's helpful, I do a lot with diagramming plays and fast model. and so. I I will a lot of times be looking at like an individual uh, player, a quick hitter or a blob or whatever. And really, I I think a lot of times when we say um, that's good offense, we're describing like good actions or things that are advantage creating scenarios. And what I like about what you just mentioned with with Coach Cassio and um, Doug Novak is another one that's been really influential in me uh, in my coaching is just... um, their ability to kind of package all of that together and create a system in which those actions are used to exploit mismatches and create advantages and whatnot and so that really is, is nothing more than what a system is going back to your flex it was uh, several actions a, a down screen a cross screen to create an advantage for you to be able to have a scoring opportunity i think we need to describe it in that way i'm actually able to communicate that to my players and we were able to this year throw in some variations on plays, um, Mm. variations on, on what we did. For instance, we did a lot of the same stuff that you were doing with the the four out and the one end with the guy in the dunker spot. And we had the same, same scenario where the guy who was the one in was actually sometimes better at the free throw line, especially with certain matchups that we had. And so we ran the exact same offense pretty much, but we added in some ball screens and then basically played him either at the nail or at the elbow. And, because we had taught them concepts rather than plays they were able to very quickly ad- adapt and adjust to that and if you watch our second half of the season it was dramatically different from the first half because those guys had picked up the concepts we made a few little changes if you were watching you would have said oh they're running a new offense but they re- we really weren't running a new offense it was the same concepts just with people aligned in different different spots um and it allowed us to have a lot of success and so No, to your point, if you're teaching them how to play basketball rather than just teaching them basketball plays, it actually allows you to be very flexible. I I wouldn't be surprised if down the road what what happens if you do somehow get a six foot eight kid? Like that stretch spot, you're gonna be like, That stretch spot's not very good for our offense anymore. (laughs) Like, you know, but but you're not gonna have to go like, oh man, I better go back onto YouTube and watch all these coach tube videos and championship videos to find out a new offense to run. So You know, I think, again, in this day and age, modern basketball, like teaching them concepts and actions and just go watch an NBA playoff game. You're going to see the same actions over and over and over. It's the simplicity, but the execution within that, those simple actions that create the quote unquote good offense that we can see and identify, but sometimes have a hard time, a hard time either describing or figuring out how do we apply that to our college or our high school teams. Well said, man well said I've, I've I've made that comment so many times watching that. man,
1: that's beautiful, that's good offense and but I don't know if uh in the moment, if someone has asked me well, what's good about it, you know if I could articulate it like the way you just did that's beautiful and 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 I, that's what I, big one of the biggest things I got from Cass, coach Cassio was you know the teaching concepts, teaching them to make plays instead of run plays it's I think it's how I, I always enjoyed playing as a player rather than having my brain switched off and having actions that we were supposed to run. And sometimes those are important. So I'm not saying we completely throw those out. But in the long run, what is enjoyable? What will keep defenses off balance? What's the hardest to scout? It's players creating gaps and advantages, knowing what options are in those, and then just making sweet jazz out there. That's, that's
0: what I love. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I think the big thing, another thing you ask is, is connected to this is I, I want to pick something. You need to pick something as a coach that you enjoy. You use that word a couple of times, like it's fun for you. Um, there was, there's a different level. Players will feel that, right?
1: Players will feel yeah. that from you.
0: Yeah. That, there's a different level of excitement that I have and what we do now than I had before. And the players, uh, to your point, follow suit with that and it becomes fun. And, you know, when we are playing in those small sided games, but it's, ex- stopping and teaching them how to make better reads and where to look and i'm still able to teach and i think sometimes the coaches have a hard time with that because they don't want to take their hands off the joystick because things might go wrong or my my players just don't have that basketball iq Mm. but once you teach them that basketball iq it becomes fun for both of you and you know the last two years but especially the last year and a half i've had more fun not feeling like I'm having to control every single play down the floor than when I called plays every time the ball went out of bounds or every time that we had a, you know, a stoppage in play or whatever. Let me ask you this. Uh, This is from experience. We had, this was my previous job
1: as a varsity assistant. We, we had put in a four out one in dribble drive and it really was, but we, I mean, this was years ago. We, it really was based on one guard that we had that we just thought, If we can just create space for him, he can really make it go for everybody else. Uh, That young man got into some trouble and was removed from the team. And we, instead of sticking with that idea, we completely scrapped it. And this was a couple weeks into the season, scrapped it and went more of a Bobby Knight, you know, a, a motion offense. And some read and react, but I don't like when coaches say we have players that don't read or react very well, but like that, we didn't teach it very well and it was a disaster. What are your thoughts on, I mean, mid season or in the season, completely just changing the philosophy of what you're doing, or even if you lose a few guys, especially if it's more conceptual, do you just kind of stay the course and keep teaching
0: through that? Yeah, we had the scenario similar to that. I mean, our, our he was the fifth leading scorer in the country at the time. And, um, you know, we were, like, really starting to peak at the end of the semester. And it was really my goal for us to average around 90 points a game. And we were starting Love to that. hit that consistently. We had two games back-to-back with 90 points. Um, and in the first of those games, it was literally the Friday, Saturday, right before Christmas break, he broke his foot. And that was probably our best game to the point in that season And then he breaks his foot and we're like, oh, man, what are we going to do now? Um, And it really allowed, I think, it allowed the other guys. We stayed with what we had, but it it allowed the other guys to kind of step up. And, you know, that's one of the the positives with this system. I know this isn't a plug for that system, but it is one (laughs) of the the positives with that system is that, again, you're teaching everybody how to play basketball. And when you basically create space, exploit space and matchups, you are you are forcing the defense to make a decision. Do I want to go help stop the basketball where there is a disadvantage for my teammate defensively? Or do I want to go help and leave my man wide open, which then creates those dominoes that maybe some people have heard about, but dominoes within your half-court offense that ends up a lot of times with somebody getting a wide open or a somewhat uncontested three-point shot, Yeah. which again, the system, our system is designed to, use space be able to drive and make plays for yourself or, or pitch and then find the open man and so i mean we've seen the system go from uh, a, a guy from being an average three point shooter to being above average three point shooter and above average three point shooter to being a great three point shooter but again it, it's it's we work on on everything that goes into our offensive system we're working in it in individuals in every every component and when you have somebody who is injured and another guy is inserted like we had that kid flourished and the guys around him flourished as well and it it basically leveled the the ability talent wise what you saw on the floor of everybody that was out there so again I think that if you're so heavily reliant on one player and a system to make that one player like you're screwed if that guy gets hurt because there's there's nothing else you can. Like, I, yeah. I get it. Like, there's nothing. You're like, we can't do this anymore. I've got to find something else. And you basically are then pretty much wasting an entire half of the season. Like, I'm sure there's, like, a Rudy story out there or something like that where a guy steps in and we go on and win the championship or something. I don't know. But, like, it, that that very rarely happens. Yeah. And so you, you need to just be, again, be very cautious. I'm I'm not saying, like, rely on your – Better players like all of us do that, but again, I think the key word here is like balance. If you're so focused on those guys and then or one guy and then that guy gets hurt, then you're in trouble. But on the flip side of that, this isn't an equal opportunity offense either. I mean, um, your your star players do need to take more shots and that kind of thing, but that goes into it as well. Like, what's a good shot? What's a great shot? Well, that's different for my team. Well, I'll tell you what it is for our team. The guys who are the best shooters better be getting the ball and shooting it. But we're gonna that. put them in spots where they can. So. Yeah. Yeah, I just I'd just be very cautious about those. If you're making big drastic decisions, your plan probably going into things wasn't wasn't what it should have been. Yeah, two big takeaways from that. First, Coach
1: Watson and I, we were definitely wrong, and for what we did. And you know, it's funny. I mean, he he he's at this a school called McKinney High School, and they actually made it to the. A 6A, which is the largest classification here in Texas, made it to the state finals, the championship game. And it was an incredible game against Duncanville, who's a national powerhouse. And so uh, they, they played really hard. But even that weekend when I saw them, we reflected back to, you know, why didn't we just stay the course? And because we had taught them really good concepts. And so my, my second takeaway is, coaches, what if we taught a style of play that was really good for our best players, enabled, for, enabled them to shine and to really maximize their skill, but also allowed other players to surprise us, to, to grow and to advance and to step up. Because how many systems handicap players because the roles are just so either small or they don't, they've been told they can't do something like that. I've seen players really
0: surprise me uh, in playing like this. Yeah, for sure. You know, um, it's one of those things where like you don't know what you don't know. And probably if if you'd have known that beforehand or you just had to live through an experience to figure out like I I probably shouldn't do this. So hopefully there is somebody out there listening to this, maybe a younger coach who like take a step back. I know things especially a lot of those are like knee jerk reactions. Yeah, Um, I don't. Randy Sherman with Radius Athletics and I have talked about this, but just the different types of biases that we have in coaching and how sometimes we can be very like making those knee-jerk reactions based off of one thing that we noticed or something that went wrong in one game. And you have to think of it more of like a marathon rather than a sprint, and and that a lot of times will slow you down a little bit and make you make you think twice before making giant adjustments to the things as big and as important as like your offensive or your defensive system. The Jamoti podcast is powered by
1: sideline interactive sideline. Interactive is the leading manufacturer for high quality, innovative scoring tables and led video display boards that help coaches and schools bring more excitement to fans, create huge fundraising opportunities and make their jobs easier. Visit sidelineinteractive.com to check out their amazing products. Uh, at your level, um, and, and w- especially with the style that you play, and I can just tell from talking that free-flowing players making plays and probably shooting the three quite a bit, which I love, what uh, what role do analytics play with the way that you teach?
0: Yeah, so if you looked at it, if anybody knows about like disk assessment, um, my disk assessment will tell you very quickly, I'm more of a numbers analytics person. Not necessarily like a math person, but just the analytics and the applied um, component of it to what we do has been like really huge for us um, you know I'm sure most of your listeners are familiar with like the four factors and um, th- those have been really big for us, but it, it's more than just uh, us knowing about them it's made the game very simple for our players to understand mm. so they know very they know they know with just a few few stats and a few pieces of information, whether or not our team probably is doing what they should be. And it also allows us to basically focus them even during the course of a game. So um, shortly we ended up having this year, a, a COVID shutdown midway through the second semester. Oh, wow. And like our, our head coach was out. Um, I had to program by myself basically for about five or six days. And then I had to coach for him. Um, while he was gone for one of those games and it was a really important time for us to, to basically kind of like, um, it it allowed us at that point of the year to have enough data and information to be able to the guys, they, they saw like what mattered to us winning. And and if you've listened to anything that I've done before, you'll hear me talk a lot about that. Um, I, I do think the analytics allow you to focus on specific things because again, we as coaches have, have so much information. And even at our level, I mean, I've got access to synergy and to huddle and there's stats because of the huddle that we use that, that, I mean, there's all kinds of things that you can be looking at. And again, you can sometimes like go and pick out things that, yes, those had an influence on winning, but like what really mattered to our team, big picture that either helped us win this game or caused us to lose this game. And you know that our numbers broke down exactly the way that the way that they were uh said or or that dean oliver described them as breaking downs and and we were no exception to that so the guys knew like we needed to shoot the ball well well that completely determined part of our practice plan like how much time we spent and where we got shots and they saw then the importance they understood the importance of getting up their shots outside of practice it's, it's not something i had to pull their leg on or convince them of because they were able to see the information and data, and it's not necessarily that they have to love that. Um, I don't know how many high school players are really going to get into that and really love that. But like it, it all, all analytics does is it describes for you in numeric form what's happening. Yeah. It's not like do you believe in analytics or not? That's like, <laughs> do you believe in the sun or not? Like I don't care if you don't think that if you go out in the sun in the summertime you're going to get burned. I don't. It's just describing the burn is going to tell you what the sun is doing. And like that, that's what analytics are. They're just telling you what's happening. And when you describe it that way to your players, they're like, oh, okay. And again, once you collect enough information, you have enough game data that you see in these 15 games, when we won effective field goal percentage, didn't kill ourselves with turnovers and we stayed even or won the rebounding battle. We won X amount of games like that. They're going to be like, oh, okay, I get it. Um, and, And again, by the time we got to that point, going back to my story, by the time we got to that point in the season, it was very clear to them what they needed to do to win. And fortunately, the head coach came back and we went on a run there and we ended up winning the regional championship, went on the nationals and finished the season placed fifth in the country because they bought into the analytics. And more importantly, what we were trying to do and those analytics, again, just describing what was happening out there on the court. So, when I talk to them about, I need your, our, I will, the kid that was our undersized big man this year, he's only six foot four, but had his best game of the year and bought into exactly what we said going into the regional tournament. I said, Steph, you have to be able to get double figures in scoring just off of rebounding, offensive rebounding, putbacks, and then making your free throws. He had his best game of the season in the regional championship game, and we won, I think, by like double digits that game. That was a perfect example of somebody who bought into the things and we just used the numbers to show him what mattered. He knew what mattered and he went out there and did what he was supposed to do, rebounded well, um, made made his free throws, finished inside, got some and ones. And I mean, it was directly related to those numbers. Those numbers were used just to just help him understand what mattered. He was able to focus on what mattered. And I think that's a big part of it. So, like, those things allow us to focus on what matters and allows your players to focus on what matters. Um, It allows us to focus on what we're practicing in practice. No offense, I'm going to offend some of your listeners, and we're going to lose some of them right now when I say this. But, like, (laughs) if you're spending five or ten minutes diving on the floor for loose balls because you're going to tell me, like, that matters to winning, I'm not going to argue with you, but while you're diving on the floor for loose balls, I'm going to be shooting three-pointers. So that my three point percentage can go up. And I understand the one time in the game when there's a loose ball on the floor and my guy bends over at his waist rather than diving on the floor and your team gets it and win that's going to be your one example. I hate to tell you this, but again, analytically, that's an outlier that that's not going to what's going to win you ultimately a game. It's going to be whether or not you make shots, don't turn the ball over, rebound and make your free throws. And again, you can argue that if you want to. And I don't buy into analytics, but like that's just how it is. Um, That's just describing what happens over the course of a game. So those are big for us because those force us as coaches to really look through our practice plan and say, are we practicing the things that actually matter to winning? Or are we spending time on stuff that isn't as important or is taking away, if you want to put it that way. It's taking away time from the things that are the most important things. By the way, if you want to dive on the floor for loose balls like or take a charge drill or whatever, I've done them before. They're fun. They get the team pumped up and whatever. But again, if I'm doing that to the extreme or things like that to the extreme that's taking away from the other stuff that matters, that's where I think that you're doing, again, your team a disservice by not really focusing on the things that matter to winning.
1: Coach, that statement uh, about diving on the floor, like it just got me so pumped. <laughs> I think there there are tons of coaches out here. You're right that you know had a, a cringed a little bit, and had a reaction, maybe maybe turned off. I don't know, but probably not because I think I think you're right on the money, and I think there's a lot more people out there that need that message. Like that's freeing to me. Yeah, uh, that I don't have to do the Shaka Smart drill where he's diving before the game on the floor for himself then go saving out of bounce play and then take a charge. Right. And, and I don't know about you, but anytime that we have done that, there is a part of like a, you know, like we're doing this because we are tough and and that, and that's who we are really. Does that one drill really make you that way? Uh, Or is it, is it a lot more than that? And I'm always holding my breath during those drills of, no broken fingers, please, no no backs, no no ankles, nothing like, and, and you're running them like, we shoot a ton of threes, and not just when I, I don't like when people just say we shoot, we train in game-like situations and, and, and in shooting games to get ourselves thinking and feeling the right way to where that shot feels exactly the same as it will when we actually play. I would much rather spend time doing that because i know for a fact that that leads to winning but then coach how do you get over the feeling in a game where your guy who just knocked down a three does bend over the other team does dive their bench is going crazy that old school coach in in the back of your head is going we need to do more diving drills how do you get past that moment because i feel like that's that happens
0: yeah, I I've, I've had the same feeling and I've caught myself a couple times this year like wanting to say something or wanting to get annoyed, but there's been so many times in my head where I that that voice inside my head says something to the effect of you haven't practiced that. That that's not something that you've emphasized. And I think you need to be realistic with yourself too. You know, you'll be annoyed like, man, I should have worked on that. Oh, we should have done this. We should have done But it even goes like bigger picture. Um, The the other big thing to rag on 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 Twitter is uh, people who are still doing the three-man weave. Like you can do the three-man weave. I don't care. But if you're doing the three-man weave for 20 minutes, then you're probably not using your time well. And again, I think the bigger picture is like what matters to winning? I'm going to have to live with. It may be bending over at the waist. It may have been maybe you don't practice ever taking a charge. And in the course of a game, there's a situation where you're like, if we would have taken a charge, we could have won that game. That's, a, that's an exaggeration in the moment, a bias there that's just a reaction to what just happened. Could that have been a, a big play that could have swung things and allowed you to? Absolutely. But there were an, an additional 39 minutes and 58 seconds in the game where you actually lost the game. It wasn't that one play. And so, again, I think the, the thing is us to have as coaches like a big picture. What's going what do we need to focus on in the big picture? Yeah, because if, as all of us as coaches, time is at a premium. We always wish that we had more time. OK, so but what are you doing with the time that you do have in those minutes? I've got to make sure that we're spending time on stuff that matters. And will that mean that sometimes I sacrifice some other things? yes. And again, there's going to be people that are listening to this, but yeah, but you should also work on this and you should also work on this and you should, I'm not saying those other things don't matter. And they, it's not that they don't matter to winning. I'm talking about big picture here. I've got to, I've got to make a list. And it, it's, I, you know, I've heard several big, big name coaches um, say this before. Um, the, the one most recently was, uh, I heard Coach K say this at a clinic, at a camp that I worked at that that, that, that he runs. But he said, there there are so many different ways to do what we do as coaches. And just look at like the last 20 teams that have won the NCAA tournament. Like they're not all the same. They all yeah. emphasize the same kinds of things, but they also have very dramatically different emphasis within practice. Just go to any any one of those practices. I think of like a practice, I was at the Final Four a few years ago in Minneapolis and I went to the different shootarounds, and I saw like the way that Texas Tech and Chris Beard at the time was doing just a walkthrough versus the way that at that time Virginia did their walkthrough. And um, we're down here in Greenville, South Carolina, where they host every every four years or so the NCAA tournament, the first and second round. And um, this year we had Michigan State in our gym. So I got to watch Michigan State practice. I'm telling you, there's not a team in the country that, that does what Michigan State was intensity wise, like at that level. It's just unreal. Like the week of an NCAA tournament game, potentially their last game of the year, the day before a game, the way that they're practicing was insane. It's totally different from what other people are doing. And Tom Izzo's had success. And, you know, this year, Kansas had success. And like, there's just different ways to go about it. But I, I think that you'll probably, when you go to to the teams that are successful, you'll go that they they do focus on on those four things that we just talked about but they can do minor things that are different. So if you do the three-man weave, like do the three-man weave, that's awesome. But don't it's, do it for 15 it minutes. It
1: sounds like you've you wanted- you read uh, Fake Fundamentals by Brian McCormick. That uh, Are you familiar with that? Yeah, Brian's another Brian's another great one, yeah. <laughs> he he will got open a lot of your mind stuff. to some things that, uh, close outs. Uh, I, I don't know how many times I've repped choppy feet and all this stuff and then to, to read that and it that I love what I love about doing this and talking with people is the light bulb moments that you have I've only been doing it for 15 years but having played in th- some things and, and been in love with the game since I was nine I'm still still just learning so much from people like yourself so this
0: is great this is great yeah, I mean, the, the, again, the big thing about our game is that it is constantly changing and we're, we're learning things new every every year, it feels like. And, and again, I, I do think that this is our sport is one of those things where we've passed down a lot of our previous knowledge from the previous group and the previous group. Well, this is the way that my coach did it, so it yeah. must be the right way. Um, and if you do things differently, like you're dumb, you don't know what you're doing. Again, there's a a lot of different ways to go about doing it. It doesn't mean that what you're doing is necessarily wrong. But um, I heard last year, Doug Novak said something at a clinic that that we were hosting. He was like, I am so convinced in my mind that what we do is the right way and the best way. But I'm not smug enough to think that my way is the only way. Hmm. So I'm willing to listen to hear about other ways and learn if there is a better way. But I do want to be so convinced because I do think that there comes along with that a passion that to your point that you mentioned earlier, you know, your, your team's going to buy into that. And if you're, I don't know if this is how we should do things or I'm not sure if this is the right way to do it or not. Like that's going to, that's good. That's bad leadership. Yeah. And that's going to lead to a team that isn't bought in on or whatever. So it's not wrong to change. I'm sure there'll be things next year that we change that I look back on this year and be like, man, I really thought that that was the way to go about doing it or our game has changed, and that's not the way to go about doing it anymore. The types of teams that we're playing, and that's fine too. You don't have to be so proud that you have to do it the same way forever, but I do think that we sometimes hold on to things within our game because it was the way that it's always been done, and we won cha- We, won. my head coach won 20 championships, and so that's the way that we're going to do it. That's fine, but that was probably for his time and his era against the type of teams that he was playing. Just make sure that it's right for your team as well. Yeah. I, I,
1: and the big thing I'm hearing is, one, like as a coach, you need to, what's your authentic style? Like what, what really fits your personality? What do you enjoy teaching? But then finding out within that avenue and with those four factors or four ideas, like what really contributes to your team winning, go back through those practice plans and and go back through your stats and, and things and breakdowns from games. And really pick it apart. What are we doing that just looks sexy in a practice plan, but doesn't contribute to those four factors? Like, I think that's a huge idea right there. Coaches, the Jamodi Podcast is sponsored by 3 on 3 Hoops Hub. 3 on 3 Hoops Hub has run over 350 3 on 3 basketball leagues for kids since 1997. 3 on 3 is the ideal format for players to get a lot of opportunities, work on all skills and positions, and have fun with their friends. Whether you want to build your program, raise some funds, or start your own business, you can bring three-on-three 3 to your community and do it like an expert by learning from the best with three-on-three 3 hoops hubs, free 90-minute training. You can register at the link in the show notes. I love getting to to learn new shooting games from people and you get to, you've probably diagrammed hundreds of them and, but if, what's a few
0: of your, or one, at least one of your favorite
1: shooting games that you guys
0: play? Uh, there have been some that we do and then some that I've just saw and stolen from others, um, you know, some that we've just like made up on the fly and sometimes they're the best drills ever and sometimes <laughs> they're the worst. And so I start with that to say like um, this could be something that looks a little bit different based off of what your offensive system is. I think all of us uh, will have heard of and, and use the phrase to some degree you know, game shots from game spots at at game speed. And sure, that's ideal. And you try to do that, but that maybe looked different for for me versus um, from what it does for you. Uh, Sometimes it depends on like whether or not it's, are we talking a team practice? Are we talking an individual uh, workout or a small group workout? Um, I do like to, I, I do still think that block shooting, you know, on air, just getting up shot after shot after shot is good because of the motor connection. Um, and, and just the reps that go along with that. But I do also think it's important for you to have a, a defender sometimes. Um, I'm probably not going to have one of those things that you tie around your forehead with a hand that's like in your face um, that they use. I don't know if anybody's ever seen those. Uh, if you use one of those, it's fine. Again, a lot of different ways to do things. But like, um, I'm it's probably my not going to have to do that. my favorite thing, coach. You just noticed. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I saw one back there in the back behind you. Um, so. So there, there there, are a lot of different types of drills that we'll use. We'll usually, for the last 15 to 20 minutes of every practice, just get up a ton of shots. Um, sometimes they'll partner up and just shoot from different spots. We have a, we call it our Bruin shooting, but there's it's basically just a, a, a combination that changes about every, sometimes it'll be every like two minutes or six minutes or um, five minutes, depending on like what the rotation is or whatever. And sometimes it's just around the five spots. Sometimes it's a, um you know two spots from each two shots from each spot but you know i'm not opposed to standing in one spot and getting a bunch of shots up for a long time which i know sounds really boring but probably a little bit more that probably your listeners are wanting to hear are things that for us we'll do a lot of so you know a slot to slot pass usually ends with a drive that goes down the lane like a seam seam drive depending on what you call it or whatever um, and then based off of that, if the defense helps off in the corner, we're pitching to the corner and playing out of that. So, my point is, is that we'll actually take our offense and break down our offense into two or three actions that then okay. are a shot. I like a lot of times to get up two shots at a time. So I'll just explain it this way. So if you have a slot, a slot, and a corner, yep. and the ball starts in the middle, so on the one slot, and it goes to the other slot, so it's passed. We in our offense slice. Mm-hmm. Typically, we do one other action, but for the sake of this explanation. So we'll slice cut towards the opposite corner. And the guy who just caught the ball catches it and drives immediately. And he'll pitch out to the corner. And when he pitches out to the corner, that guy will either shoot. You can have him him shoot. The guy who just pitched will maybe go relocate out to the wing. And we'll get a shot from the wing. So there's always two shots that are going up. So there'll be another coach, like a coach standing on the baseline that passes it back out to that player there on the wing that that passed it to the corner guy. So we're always getting two shots up with every drive. And I've seen teams like um, Furman's here close by with Coach Ritchie, and I go over and watch them for practice sometimes. They do that with their – they run a conceptual offense. They're kind of more like five out, um, your traditional, like what you're seeing five out today sometimes some princeton stuff so they'll do like two ball stuff within their princeton or their five out stuff um i've seen duke do this with basically kind of like a modified drive and kick it's dribble drive kind of before dribble drive was but you know where whatever it is like whatever your actions are try to get two to three shots up within each of those actions i think just things that are just volume shooting is good um i like one that's super simple Where we just place four guys around the perimeter, one guy's in the corner, two guys in the slot, and then one guy in the opposite corner. Ball starts underneath, and we throw it out to the corner, and we just go one more. So one more, one more, one more, one more, and there's a shot from the corner. We'll do that for two minutes, then we'll switch it up, and we'll go ball to the corner, throw it one more to the slot, drive the slot, pitch to the corner, and then one up from the corner. And what you're really saying is like, those are natural actions and things that happen within our offense. And so when we get into a game, I don't have to scream one more, one more, or make the extra pass. Like the guys just do it because that's what we practice. It's nothing, there's nothing special about it. They just know that like when I have the ball and there's a guy closing out of me and somebody's next to me without it, like I just throw it over there. That's just what we do. Um, So you know, I, again, I would just encourage you to kind of simulate what you do within your offense and the shots that you're getting. There was once upon a time where I was taking like one dribble pull-ups and, you know, sidesteps and that kind of stuff, but we didn't get those things within our within our offensive system. If that's something you get in your offensive system, then do it. Hmm. But I think there is a level of like creativity that we as coaches need to have. You don't need to go to Twitter and you don't need to go, I know I'm killing my potential for twitter followers here but like you don't need to go follow somebody like me to to get new drills you can come up with them and maybe the drills that i give to you are bad for your offense because what i give to you isn't wasn't designed for me it was or wasn't designed for you it was designed for me so you know yeah go look and see what other coaches are doing but if it doesn't fit what you're doing it goes back to what we were talking about earlier you're kind of wasting your time where you could you're not maximizing your time Um, So just kind of how can I get up the most shots as possible or emphasize or re-emphasize what's important within my offense. Um, So there can be it can translate into more than just being better shooters in the game. If I can teach another concept like driving to attack space and then kicking and relocating and then getting a shot or making the one more pass. Those are concepts that are as important to the shot, because if I don't have those concepts, I'm never going to get a shot.
1: So let me ask you this, because there, there, it seems to be a little bit of a divide when when you, when a lot of people hear skill development, they immediately go to the skills trainers, the skill trainers and the, the two ball tennis ball cones. Um, and I, I'm, I am personally a fan of some accountability drills, especially w- with, when teaching players movements and, and helping them to get lower than they're comfortably uh, they'd like to get, but you hear when a lot of people hear skill development, they go there, but then you're talking about skill development is breaking your offense down into parts and teaching them those movements and actions while you're getting shot up, while you're working on your ball handling. But is there a way to blend those two within a practice? Or are you exclusively the, the one that is purely uh, concept driven?
0: So I used to be the guy with the two balls and I still do that kind of thing sometimes in the summertime. I think it's fun sometimes for the guys. I think it's a fun change of pace for them. I think they kind of think about it different um, when they're practicing those kinds of things. Uh, Can those sometimes be a little bit of a waste of a time tossing a tennis ball at them? Yeah, sure. But again, in the summertime, I don't feel the time crunch necessarily that I feel during the season. Yeah, and that's again to our point of maximizing that time i do also think that there is something that can be said for uh, motor development for each kid and their improvement there um, i do think for like emphasizing footwork you can do a lot of that in the summertime and just kind of slow things down and help them so i'm almost training like motor skills rather than like skill development to make my team a better offense Mm. and you know a lot of coaches can combine all of that into their normal practices you don't need two balls you don't need the tennis ball you don't um but you know again I think there is something that can be said for a lot of reps doing the same thing over and over but yeah there's once the season starts I don't necessarily have time to dribble two balls up and down the floor um, because I can be I should be doing the other things again yeah. what matters what what
1: what leads to winning right
0: right yep. and and so for for us yeah our our entire practice I think is is skill development um mm-hmm. you know and skills too that may be something where you need to emphasize or kind of define what you're saying but I want my players I emphasize with my players I'm trying to teach you decision making skills I'm trying to teach you yes you're your technical skills of shooting or passing or, you know, which, you know, the, the, I don't want to come to a jump stop. I want to actually come to a stride stop and set instead. So you should use this kind of footwork. And, um, when you put it that way, like, again, I'm not going to have time to talk about footwork necessarily while they're playing a five on five. That's not probably the best place to do that, but I have already talked about that in our individual workout, or we've worked at that with like a, you know our daily vitamins, if that's the kind of thing that you have or whatever so I, I do think that you can incorporate it throughout. I do think that there is a problem again with balance being the keyword with yeah. some who will come again, there's always some on Twitter who'll come and be like, "You know, we do all that through five one five All we do is play and I teach them the skills and I teach them everything like, okay, maybe so, but for our program, I found that it's it's better to kind of mix things up sometimes do. On air, one-on-oh, skilled for this. Do we do it long? No. But then doing it in three-on-three and, you know, freezing it and running it back and saying, okay, your eyes should have been here. This is the skill that you should have used. So this finish instead of this finish. Why? Oh, yeah, you were right, coach. The the defender was behind me, not hip-to-hip with me. I had a big advantage, not a small advantage. I should have used a straight finish skill development. But I, I was able to do within a game, within a three-on-three. I didn't have to, I didn't have, we didn't just practice that on air. And once your skill development becomes game applicable, that's where you are going to accelerate the learning of players and how that translates into actual gameplay. Mm. If you are a coach who is constantly frustrated with, I practiced that a thousand times, why aren't you doing that in the game? The fault is not of the players. The fault is of you. You did not help them understand the connection There's the old book um, they haven't learned or that you haven't taught until they've learned. Um, Like that's the case. And by the way, that was like John Wood in 1970s, Swin Nader, Bill Walton, all those guys. Like it's the the learning has been the same for decades. Um, And and again, this isn't something new. So just because they aren't doing it in the game, isn't something new. Like you haven't taught yet. Mm -hmm. Um, And I do think that you can, you, you can accelerate that, it looks better in games if you're able to make the connection points between the skill development that you do with them and the actual game play. And that's where I found that the small-sided games have really uh, helped our guys understand the game better, and it makes the 5-on-5 five five look a whole lot better, a whole lot faster.
1: And I like what you said, too, about uh, maybe the summer being different, you know, because at your level, I mean, you you really have players that are all there you know, wanting to be college players, you know, hopefully wanting to win, right, and, and to, to be a part of your program. Uh, I'm in a little bit of a unique situation being at a smaller private school in Texas where three-fourths of my team, they are not at Grapevine Faith for basketball. They're there for the academics, for the Christian environment, and so there's I, this idea for me of, one, I mean, I can't waste any time. I have to try to get them as good as I possibly can but out of season, creating a little bit more fun, and and not I, personally to me, breaking down our offense and working through flow, we call it alley 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 stretch. That's fun to me, and we can get deep into that. But in April, uh, allowing them to uh, stretch their stretch their creativity, push their boundaries. You know, I'm at a level where they are still developing motor skills. I was able to talk with uh, uh, one of the the old Mavs trainer, uh, hmm. uh skill coach for a little while. And I brought up some of these, these, like I've seen some videos of NBA players doing some of these things. And he was like, they don't need that. They're NBA players. They're so beyond that far that it's just a show. They just need to do simple things over. And I, I completely get that. But then I, I kind of go back to, and, and there's probably a lot of people out there listening at my level where, I can't just have it be the same thing every day, but I have to choose things that are fun are creative that I feel like will get them um, where I want them to be quicker. And they're all playing select ball, hopefully where they're hearing different things too. So like faith basketball kind of has to end a little bit. And now it's just purely about them and their development, but that's just the way I've chosen to, to view it.
0: Yeah. I, you know, for us, it's actually unique. I, I'm not allowed to do anything with them in the off season because we're a Division three school, so they're on their own. Mm. And I was walking out of a class that I was teaching this afternoon in the gym and saw some guys on one of the other courts, and and they were doing stuff with cones and kind of stationary and whatever. And um, but I know that's not the only thing that they're doing. Yeah. But if they're enjoying it, especially for age groups that you're working with, I think that's the biggest thing for us. We if they're not enjoying it, they're probably not giving the effort and the mental focus to it that they could be. And you're basically because you're so rigid on this is the way that we're going to do it. We're only going to do it this way. We're not going to do anything fun or what's fun to you is not what's fun to them, to the, to your point before, then it's going to hurt you in the long run. So there has to be a balance. I think yeah. I mean, that's another theme that we've been talking about. There has to be a balance between like this is the right way to do it. This is the way that I know it's to be done. But nobody's having fun with it. I do think that you can do things to make it fun. That's why we're playing more of like the games approach. But yeah. um, there's also a place for some of the other stuff that's silly and that if you were to post on Instagram, you'd get a thousand comments on how stupid of a coach you are. Like, sure, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I will do that every now and then just to post it to. And people unfollow me and say that I'm stupid, whatever, and I just laugh. But they like it. They they like throwing a tennis ball. They like they like. I have sometimes they're they're like juggling. They're snatching a ball while they're dribbling it too. Like that. That's never gonna happen in a game. That's not. There's no. Really? There's next to no game application to that. But they came in the gym and they're working hard for 30 seconds. Like I can take 30 seconds in the middle of April when I'm training this junior high kid to do something silly <laughs> because he liked it. Like. Yeah. That's just, there needs to be a balance of, I don't want to yeah. waste the kid's money and the kid's time. Again, if I'm doing that the entire time, but I, there, there should be something that goes for trainers who allow kids to have fun. Now, if you're a goober and you just think like, that's the only way, and you've got a billion dribbling moves. Yeah, in one spot, it's
1: just like, a circus act. Where you're just trying to yeah. wow people. You're stealing
0: people's money and yeah. you're wasting people's time. There's I have an ethical problem with yeah. that. But if we're if it's something that's fun that can can help them improve or whatever, and then you go and do something else, like I have no problem with that.
1: In, in the same way that I think you and I go out and, and and try to learn from other coaches, especially about you know offensive player or it could be on the even the defensive side. I just don't talk about that side much myself, but um I, I really like to try to research good skill coaches and see because I see my players the most in high school they spend the most time with me so I've I've tried to take on that role of guys in the spring you know save your save your money uh and and allow me to be your skills coach but one of these guys that I've uh that I've really found Michael Lancaster from I'm possible he, he to me there are a few things that I might I might not do just with the level of player or does, it doesn't make sense to me, but majority of the things he, he has game connectors for whatever they're doing, it, it's a way to help the players understand why is this in my hand? What is it helping connect me to when I play? Mm-hmm. If you don't do that, then it is just a circus act and it's something that will never translate for them. So I think the way that you are, are, um, articulate those those drills and the why behind it is really
0: important too, right? Yeah, I think the you just said about the why, whether that's the dribbling moves or even something that you're doing within your practices where you're working on something that doesn't look at that moment like five on five. The faster that you can help them understand the why behind what you're doing there, they'll buy into it faster and they'll get a picture, the bigger picture of like what we're trying to accomplish here and they'll buy into it faster and it'll it'll produce better results out on the court faster. Two themes I feel like that we've kind of had throughout this whole talk is
1: is one, uh, balance. Balance in everything that you're doing with your style of play, with how you're coaching, how you're practicing, your skill work, even your shooting. Um, but then also uh, uh, helping them um, to find out what leads to winning quicker. And, and, and then making sure you're, everything that you're doing from the way that you lift the, the analytics you show them and talk about, the the practice plan that you have and the skill work that you do, reevaluate what is fluff that you can let go. How can you shorten your workout five to 10 minutes and let them go home and, and, and go eat and be with their friends? Like that, that to me has been a huge takeaway from what you've been
0: saying. I think it goes quicker to uh, building a culture for your program, and there are a lot of people that are walking around that say that we have a culture, Mm -hmm. but if you were to examine it, they probably just have a lot of, they have a lot of things that they believe in, but there's no connection to those things that they believe in, and so they may be teaching a lot of great things and, and building great components, but they haven't necessarily like built a house. They've just built a bunch of like individual buildings. And I I think that, you know, for us too, we're we're a Christian institution. Like there are things that are completely non-basketball related, but maybe something that basketball allows us to have a platform to communicate to these guys too. That all goes to our culture, but they see how those things even fit into the daily things that we're doing with them. Yeah, And I, you know, what what's your what's your purpose? What's your why? And what does that serve for your greater if you don't want to use culture like for who you are? I mean, that's whether or not you want to use that term or not or like that term or not. Like you do have a culture around your program. It just may be a disorganized one and it may not lead to go bigger picture than just winning games. But like, what are you why are you doing what you're doing? Yeah um I would guess like for for us like we're trying to build young men we're trying to help them become better leaders better husbands better whatever it is how can the basketball give me an opportunity to do that that should be reflected even in how I organize my practices and as silly as that may sound I think I've observed Teams that that do that well and their entire culture is special. That those people are just special. Mm. Um, and it and it goes to the terminology that you use. It goes to the emphasis that you place on footwork. Like, no, we have to do this the right way. Well, there's a there's a bigger lesson behind that. Like, um, so I would encourage you to kind of like be balanced in what you do. If it's all about one thing or all about the other, you're probably out of balance, and therefore your culture is kind of out of balance. Um, but, you know, really examine what you do. And is this making us um, better at whatever our core values are or whatever? So, yeah, I think it's it's all interrelated and it's all important. Um, but there are some things that are more important than others, like we've yeah. been discussing, just like yeah. the analytics behind it. And are you spending time on stuff that actually matters? If you tell me that our one of our goals with our programs is to is to make make uh, you know better leaders better men and I come to your program and all you do is practice basketball and you have a a, a 30 second like um, word of the day um, I, I would I'm calling your bluff right there yeah um, so you know why are we doing anything and if we're if it's not if it's not helping us achieve what our goal is and making our culture stronger then we need to get rid of it coaches The Jamoti podcast is powered by Biology. What's your BSA score? The
1: Bology skill assessment is the only verified skills metric endorsed by the NIA and NJCAA to discover and develop the best talent for your team. This 10 minute, 100 shot test can be taken for free today on the Biology mobile app. Elevate your game. Based on kind of everything you just said, who are in your opinion, Some of those coaches that are transformational like that, that have some of those attributes you talked about that we can follow, you know, uh, on on social media or
0: even watch videos or reach out to, who are just some of those names that come up to in your mind? Uh, This first one, it sounds funny for me to say this, but I feel like I have to say this now because I'm to the point now where I don't, I act like I'm not old, but I am getting old. And people who are under me, I, I have I teach at the both the master's level and the undergraduate level several coaching ca- classes and, and basketball classes, and I will mention the name John Wooden, and people just stare at me. Oh, and you're taking a basketball class and you don't know who John Wooden is? Like I don't understand that. And people our age, like that sounds silly. Like you shouldn't even yeah. have to mention that. But there are people who don't know who or they. Yeah, oh, yeah. Didn't he win a lot of championships before or like he was a UCLA coach or they, most of them don't even know he was a UCLA coach. But you want to talk about like a transformational leader um, because of, again, my academic background and that kind of thing. Like there was a, a research report that was done by um, Gallimore and I can't remember who the other guy was. They went in and observed his practice and basically coded everything that he said throughout that pras- practice and then took that and then basically applied it to teaching principles that people are, we're still using today. They're just foundational for teaching. Hmm. And a lot of the things that everything that he does was intentional. Um, and a lot of the things that he would say to them were to invoke a response, even in like, he, you know, would get after one guy and then a different guy, he would use a different and a different method. And, you know, that was that was intentional. And and some of it is obvious and some of it is just like man that like he was ahead of his time um, so from that perspective like read the books that read the obvious books like the you know wooden or um, they call me coach but I've already mentioned one of them it was one that was authored by Swin Nader who's a really good friend of his um, one of his former players I actually had him on the podcast like phenomenal guy um, but he he wrote a book um, the one that I mentioned that that you haven't taught until they've learned Something to that extent. I think I butchered it, but that's another one that's like phenomenal that gives you an inside look at like there was a method to everything that he did. Mm. And again, it was there was a culture that was there. Um, and you know, you read those books and you'll quickly find out like what that culture is. And guys came in and bought into it. And the ones that didn't, he didn't kick them out. He kind of worked with them, I think was another key, key thing about who he was. But um, like really dig into who he, he is. Don't just, Oh yeah, I've heard of him or, yeah, I know a little bit about him or I know he won. but if you dig into like what he did, it's just, just phenomenal. So, um, he would be one, um, you've mentioned some of the other ones. I think Brian McCormick is, was way ahead of his time on, on the, you read the stuff that he wrote and you're like, Oh yeah. Like, you know, I'm hearing a lot about that. That's a lot look at the date scroll open the book to the front cover and see the date that he wrote that he was writing that 10 or 15 years ago before anybody was talking about any of that kind of thing mm. um but he's one that you know for teaching probably your audience has heard of like uh, doug lamov's book um you know uh, a, a teacher's guide to coaching is it i, I think that's too it. many words yeah. Yeah. um but that one that one is uh, phenomenal i've gotten a lot of reviews from that so those kinds of there are a lot of because twitter has uh has revealed a lot of hidden gems that i think that we look at like the big names but some of the best coaches are coaching at division three and NAIA schools and high schools um if you're not following coach lynch michael lynch on twitter like you need to stop listening to this right now and open your Twitter account and like go follow, go follow him. Like there are some phenomenal coaches and phenomenal people. Um, and as we were talking before we got on here, I've had the opportunity just through like a podcast to like talk to these people. And mm. it's not just their Twitter accounts that are great. Like they're great people. And you can tell that they have goals beyond winning basketball games. And I think that those people are the ones that are making the biggest difference. And um, are are doing the most with what they have. Um, sometimes you may, I, I know we still, a lot of times will judge a guy, we'll go, well, what was his record this last year? Oh man, he stinks. He hasn't won any championships. They never win anything. But you dig into it a little bit and you're like, wait a minute, he's at this school working with this and he's getting that kind of talent or that kind of output with that kind of talent. Like he is phenomenal. 500, like he should be winning one game a year. Those are the kinds of guys that I found that are, the tr- are a lot of times the really, truly transformational guys. They're taking, they're taking players who maybe are average and, and helping them become better people, which is helping them become better basketball players. So um, don't always look for the wins and the losses. Uh, look at for like, again, Twitter's allowed us to do this, is to follow people over a long period of time and, and see like who they really are reach out to to those types of people if you if you if you have the opportunity to because most most people are willing to give time yeah. to you and talk to you a little bit but um yeah you're you're yeah. proof of that man for sure I appreciate that I appreciate that but I uh, I have had never had a original thought in my life I'm just <laughs> I'm a very, very, very good thief and uh, just start putting things together. You see on Twitter, like anything else on social media, you see the best of it, but there have been a lot of failures behind it. I think that's another one too, like yeah. people who are, who have have failed and we hear about all the great stories and that's typically what, what sells a good podcast. But um, I've toyed with the idea of having a podcast that had something to do with just tell me about all of your failures and, and give us a real sense of of how things actually work and then tell me how you responded to it. What a great and question. For most, of us, for most question. of us, that's how that's how coaching goes most of the time. And, you know, I, I think that we all say that you can learn the most from losing, but none of us wants to actually do it. We just want the other guy to lose so we can learn from him. So um, maybe look for some losers out there as well. You can learn from, from them too. <laughs>
1: Well, coach, mm-hmm. Hey, before I let you go, uh, I want because so many people uh, get to hear you and and interview great coaches and, and, and watch your videos, but they don't really know you. And so after the speed round, they will truly know uh, more about you. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. Favorite ice cream flavor? Uh, cookie dough. For high school, shot clock or no shot clock? Shot clock. You You answered that one quickly. You didn't didn't think about that. Uh, Texting or talking? Texting. Favorite holiday?
0: Oh, uh, Thanksgiving. Nice.
1: Invisibility or super strength? Probably super strength. If you could travel back in time, what period would you go to?
0: Uh man <laughs> you can pass that's if you a, want lightning i i i personally would stay here well uh, yeah. i think we're in a phenomenal time um, technology wise and being again being able to connect with and learn from it kind of fits with the things that i i like and i value so that's a good answer probably probably would just stay here two more uh how many cups of coffee do you drink per day uh, zero. I would tell you I have a latte, but it's basically I have uh, a little bit of coffee with my milk is basically what it is. <laughs> Last one, Godfather or Star Wars? You could Star say Wars. neither. Well, probably people would hate me. I've never watched Godfather.
1: Oh, but you yeah, said Star right. Wars? Like, is that I is that really
0: something that you like or just because you've never uh, watched Godfather? I do like it, but I kind of was... It, it would probably still be Star Wars. I was a child of the '80s, so that was like right around my w- around my time. Four, or five, and, and six are just too good. Too well, good. that's Star Wars. That's right. Yeah. You don't the count others, the others. <laughs> you know? no. That's why I said I'm a child of the '80s, not the <laughs> '90s and the 2000s. I watched them and they were fine, and some of the newer ones are cool too, but only because they reference the '80s.
1: Yeah, because they brought them back in a little bit, and yeah. Right. But I'm I'm right there with you. Well, coach, man, th- this was awesome. And I just want to thank you so much for your time. And And before you go, uh, tell us a little bit about one, how, how coaches can follow you and, and get connected with you and a little bit about a quick
0: timeout podcast too. Yeah. The easiest place is just to go to Twitter. Tony W. Miller is where you can find me there. If you have any questions about anything, my DMs are open or um, put up plays from time to time, depending on what time of the year it is, or clip clips video clips whatever just uh I try to give a little bit of everything to to people so that if you're into plays or you're into motivational stuff or you're into whatever it is um I try to think of it like like a coach I am a coach and like what I would enjoy and what I would like, and try to kind of reverse engineer kind of content I produce so um you can feel free to connect with me on there and then. The podcast is a quick timeout. You can find that at a quicktimeout.com or just search any of the podcast platforms. You can find that. Uh, again, I know how coaches are and I know that their time is limited. And I know uh, typically you want to either unwind with just kind of half heartedly listening to something on the way home or on the way into school, or you gotta, you're got you stuck on a bus ride for 30 minutes to a game. And so I've tried to make those short, you can listen to during a free period or whatever. and. And pack in a lot in a short amount of time and only talk about one thing. So we really just focus mm. on maybe one topic. We're in and out. Sometimes they're as short as nine minutes. Sometimes <laughs> we go a little bit longer to 20, 25 minutes. Uh, some people don't like that. I got feedback. Man, I wish your podcasts were longer. Uh, listen to this podcast if you want a longer podcast. There are plenty of <laughs> there are plenty of great podcasts. Listen to, go to, to this news fest for an hour. There's right. no, <laughs> it's good. And, and if that's your cup of tea, that's awesome. Or if you have more time, I listen to plenty of longer co- podcasts. Um, but I try to be a little bit different, and like I said, kind of get in, get out, give the opportunity uh, to to let the experts talk. I try not to talk too much during the show, and so it's just different. It it may not be your thing, but if you're interested in it, go give it a listen. Awesome. Well, coach,
1: again, uh, thank you so much for your time. And I don't, I don't, I've I've done not as many of these as you have, but every talk I have, I don't know if you're like this, there's just at least one nugget that I feel like that was for me. And this one, I felt like there were a few things that really made me think and, and it will help a lot of coaches
0: out. So thank you, man. Awesome. Um, Thank you for asking me. It was great to great to talk with you.
1: Thank you for checking out today's episode. Please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast, share it with your fellow coaches and find us on social media for what's coming up next on the Jamoti podcast. It's just a matter of doing it.